0: Hola, bienvenidos to another episode of When in Spain. Hello, hello. I'm your host, Paul Burge. A warm welcome to you wherever you're listening from around the world. Well, I'm talking to you from right here in Madrid uh, to bring you a slice of Spain straight into your ears. So I hope you're all well. I haven't been very well, hence the delay in bringing you this episode incidentally our 50th episode of when in spain so yeah we made the half century we made half century uh, 50 episodes how time flies i can remember when i was marking when in spain Becoming a teenager when we had 13 episodes. Anyway, 50 episodes. But yeah, I've been struck down with a horrible flu bug for the last, I don't know, week and a half. It always seems to be the way. You come back from holiday, you have a little uh, rest, you get back into your routine and bam struck down with la gripe, uh, which I have been feeling very sorry for myself and feeling quite frankly like mierda. Um, I'm on the mend now, still not 100%, but uh, at least I got my voice back. I couldn't really even speak properly up until, I don't know, about three or four days ago. Uh, But anyway, I'm on the mend now. And uh, well, I didn't want to inflict me coughing and spluttering uh, uh, down the microphone to you guys, the listeners. Coming up in this episode, I wanted to talk about Spanish TV and, in particular, Spanish TV series, TV shows. And I'm going to run through a list... Yep, it's another list episode of 14 TV shows that uh, I think are worth looking at if you have time and if you're interested in, well, in Spanish culture, in improving your language, or you quite simply want to be entertained, which is the reason, I guess, why we watch TV shows, right? To be uh, entertained. Now, these 14 TV shows, I'm not saying, I just insert caveat here. I'm not saying they're the most amazing groundbreaking TV shows you're ever going to see. But this is my handpicked selection of my favorite Spanish TV shows. And of course, I guess, I'm guessing if you're listening to this, you're interested in Spain, you're interested in Spanish culture, and you're probably interested in Spanish as a language and learning or improving your Spanish language. Now, these shows, I think, um, which are suitable, I would say, for really anything between a kind of lower intermediate right up to an advanced level. For practicing your Spanish, but I've chosen them because I found them entertaining, funny, interesting. Uh, They gave me some kind of insight into Spanish culture and life and people. And so that's what we're going to do. I'm going to run through 14 of them with you. I'm going to give you a little outline of what they're about, uh, my kind of reflections on them, and I'll also talk about where you can find them as well. Now, I am aware most of these TV shows I'm going to be talking about, many of which I'm sure you've heard of at least some of them, particularly if you have uh, living in Spain or you've spent time in Spain, or even if you're just a Spain fan, many of these are accessible from outside of Spain. Uh, but where have I found these TV shows? Well, many of them are found on Spanish network TV, terrestrial TV, if you like. Many of them I found on Netflix or Nitli as the Spanish call it, as well. So now I know that opens up a whole can of worms. If, you you know, can you access Netflix, España from a different country? No lo sé, ni... Idea. i've got no idea um i'm not a sort of it tech boffin when it comes to this kind of thing um some people say you can change the region of your netflix uh, even if you're in a different part of the world i don't know but where netflix or Netflix is concerned i've accessed them through netflix espania they're the main sources of these tv shows but having said that i've noticed that many of them are available through you there are episodes on youtube there are uh, episodes available on uh, how can i put it Um, unofficial streaming websites also many of these shows are available via the given spanish television network's own website and do seem to work outside of spain but anyways i go through the list i'll endeavor to try and flag up and tell you guys which network they are uh, available on and hopefully with a little bit of uh, jiggery pokery and uh, trawling around on the net you can access them So there we go, 14 top Spanish TV shows. A bit of a mixture of drama, comedy, soap, uh, documentary, light entertainment, un poco de todo, a little bit of everything. But before we get into our televisual feast, and... uh, I am by no means any kind of official expert or critic. These are purely my uh, opinions that I'm going to be giving you on these TV shows, by the way. Uh, as always with this podcast, it's just, you know, my opinion on these things. Um, before we get into all of, of that, I wanted, como siempre, as always, to say a big thank you to new When in Spain patrons. We've got a couple of new patrons who've kindly signed up. Uh, via Patreon, crowdfunding website, and uh, I'd like to say muchísimas gracias to Arlen Gabriel, who I know for a fact who's been uh, quite a long-term listener to the podcast and an active, uh, fairly active member on the One in Spain Facebook group as well. So, uh, Arlen... Hi to you over in, uh, I think you're over in the United States. Can't remember exactly where, but uh, thank you so much. It's uh, greatly appreciated. I'm glad that uh, you uh, decided to become a patron. Really appreciate your support. So thank you to you. And of course, equally, a huge, huge gracias to Herbert. Osle. Osla, I'm guessing it's Osla. I'm not quite sure, Herbert, on your pronunciation of your surname. Um, But I'm going to go with Osler. Herbert, Osler. Herbert, thank you so much for becoming a When in Spain patron. I really appreciate it as well. And I've seen you've joined up to the When in Spain Facebook group. And I think you've also joined the When in Spain patron members club. Incidentally, any listeners who are patrons... And and haven't done so, please head across to the When in Spain patron members club. There's a separate When in Spain Facebook group for patrons. So don't forget to join that as well, because that is the place where I post bonus content so a big big thanks to you guys herbert and arlin really appreciated if anyone else would like to become a patron and sign up to support uh, the work that i do to support the podcast to help ensure its long-term health and longevity um, it really does make a difference actually Um, it really does make a difference even if it's just a dollar a month or two dollars a month whatever you can you can stretch to uh, to help keep this podcast running Um, as I've mentioned before and I won't go into too much detail because I'm sure regular listeners and especially listeners who are already patrons are probably sick to the back teeth of hearing me go on and on about patreon Um, but it does make a big difference it all adds up I think I've got 41 patrons at the moment I'm looking to try and hit the 50 patrons 50 patrons for 50 episodes Um, so do go and sign up it's really easy just go to patreon.com forward slash when in spain it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com patreon.com forward slash when in spain Uh, once you hit the page uh, it's all self-explanatory and that's it and you can you can do it now why not just do a bit of multitasking while you're listening to this podcast episode have a little uh have a little uh, tap on your keyboard or on your phone and go and have a look go and google patreon when in spain and you'll find the link to sign up there Right, let's get into our televisual feast. Well, I'm at home at the moment and it's a Tuesday afternoon and let's uh, go put the tail on. What have we got? News. So... Sí, tardes. Así ha sido desde la tardes. En 1948. So sí, we've got La Una. At the moment, this is the TVE, Televisión Española. So this time of day it is uh, about half past three. This is the late lunchtime news. Let's have a little flick. Incidentally, if you didn't know, um, the verb to flick through channels is, uh, I think it's zapear. Yeah, zapeando. Vapear, vapiando to, to to go flicking through the TV. What have we got? Lados, some kind of documentary about Pakistan. Antena Tres, more news uh, about the uh, well, very sad and uh, well, terrible, worst flooding in a generation in the Murcia and uh, Valencia regions of Spain. So lots of. Uh, pictures and the kind of clean-up operation of the aftermath of the flooding that's on the Noticias on Antena 3. El Cuatro. A bit of sports news from Deportes Cuatro. Tele Cinco, more news. So, as you can see, this is this time of day, lots of news programs. Um, I think I've talked about this before when people come home, uh, which a lot of uh, Spaniards still do on their longer lunch hours, they come home, and Karina, my fiance, uh, occasionally does this too, and uh, sit down at the table with your cooked. Meal and on goes the news. It seems to be a time of day for catching up with the news. More news about uh, flooding and its effects on the agriculture. Sexta, La Sexta. I think we got uh, something about. What is this? Baseball Baseball injury So number seven I'm not going to go through all of the channels by the way I just wanted to give you a little flavour of what's on TV um, As I'm recording this Tele Madrid Spain has an extensive network of regional TV stations as well I'm here in Madrid and we get Tele Madrid and we've got Tele Madrid here, which isn't bad for a local TV station. Uh, More sport. BMAD. It's a network called BMAD. This is something to do with living in the countryside. Ah, how funny. It's talking about El Rocío, the, uh, the village where... Karina and me uh, went to a couple of weeks ago, talking about the big uh, religious pilgrimage to El Rocio. That's, uh, that's quite a coincidence. How funny to see that on TV just a couple of weeks uh, after we've been there. What else have we got? Then we start getting into the trashy, <laughs> trashy channels, the further you go down. So on my TV, I think this is actually Channel 10, but it's called Nova. And if you just listen, we've got a lovely drawn-out dramatic sequence in what looks like a, a South American telenovela, some, some quite cheesy, uh, overly sentimental, it does look Latin American, I'm not sure what it's called, not sure if it's called Las Mil y Una Noches, anyway, a uh, bit of telenovelas, which there are loads of. What have we got next? Um, donde esta You're not going to believe that that is actually Friends, the American, very well-known and famous TV sitcom Friends, dubbed into Spanish. And talk a bit about dubbing or doblaje, as it's known in a second, because I absolutely detest it. What else have we got? Flicking on D-Max... Uh, Just a lot of trash TV now. Um, Celebrity gossip. Looks like a cheap imported film dubbed into Spanish. More sport. Anyway, you get the idea. I'm going to turn the TV off because there isn't really much on at this time of day worth seeing, if I'm honest. And uh, really, if you turn the TV on in the mid-afternoon, late afternoon, I guess, there's a lot of rubbish, a lot of cheap sort of TV movies, which have been dubbed into Spanish. Loads and loads of Spanish and Latin slash South American telenovelas, uh, soap operas, which are really bad. But quite amusing, quite amusing to watch um, just because of their terrible acting and the really ridiculous storylines. But Spanish TV these days, I think there is a lot more and more quality than maybe there was um you know 10 or 20 years ago things thank goodness have changed and i think definitely with the advent of things like netflix and other streaming services that we don't have to be doomed to watch only telenovelas if we want to improve our spanish but if yes if you tune in at this time of day you can understand why uh, lots of people in spain refer to the tv as la caja tonta La caja tonta, the silly box. Yeah, I don't know if anyone else has ever heard that expression before, but I have heard the TV referred to in Spanish as la caja tonta, uh, the silly box, which is, of course, full of telebasura, telebasura. You know, I suppose junk TV. I can't think how we translate that. But as I was just saying, yeah, I just flicked through there and there was an episode of Friends um, uh, dubbed into Spanish. Doblaje. El doblaje is dubbing. And I'm sorry, I absolutely hate watching anything which has been dubbed into 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 Spanish. And I'd be intrigued to know if any other listeners feel the same way about this. But I, I think dubbing original versions into Spanish just kills it for me. And I think it's probably because a lot of these TV shows that have been dubbed into Spanish are either American, probably the majority of the time, or, or British. And I grew up or was so used to the real person's voice now that that was part of their character. So, I mean, let's stick with Friends as an example. Then, you know, I'm used to Matt Perry's voice as Chandler in Friends. Is it Matt Perry? And oh, I might be wrong. Um, I'm used to his voice as the character, and then some strange Spanish voice is. I say strange, but you know, some deep Spanish voice, uh, which is totally different to the character that I'm used to, or the actor that I'm used to, is 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 doing his his voice, and it's like what? No, 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 no. I just don't like it. And for me also, I don't know, it seems to me that there must be only about a dozen voice actors in Spain doing all of the dubbing for pretty much every single TV show going. Um, Because they all sound the same. They all sound very similar. And I don't know what it is. Again, you know, this is my opinion. And I have kind of argued about this with Spanish friends and Carina as well. But the way they dub the script and they dub the dialogue... It seems really overly dramatic and really unnatural. If You could turn the dubbing off, which you can on my TV. You can actually, fortunately, flip to the, orig- the version original. You can ch- change it to the original English version. And you're like, but they're not speaking like that. Why are they like, making it so over the top and dramatic? You know, for example, the dialogue might say something like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And the dubbed version will be something like Bye no lo puedo creer Massively over the top and exaggerated. Frankly for me, pretty difficult to listen to for any extended period of time. And the worst thing about dubbing is when they have teenagers or children. And of course, you know, they don't get teenage or child voice actors. What do they do? They dub the child's voice with an adult mimicking a child's voice. And it sounds so cringeworthy and awful. you like, seriously, how can anyone take this seriously? Because they will have an adult doing a voice like this. Hey, Mama. And it's, well, it sounds like that. It sounds ludicrous. So, yeah, there we go. Dubbing, doblaje. No me gusta. Para nada. Not at all. No way. No, 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 no. So let's get into this top 14 list. The good thing with TV series, though, is they're shorter than movies. They're sequential, so, you know, you get to sort of get used to the characters, maybe their expressions and things over a period of time. You kind of get familiar with the format of the show, um, their way, the character's way of speaking, as I said. And, you know, you kind of adjust as you do with real people, to their way of speaking and their voice and their accent as well. A very good way to learn colloquial and slang and idiomatic expressions, probably one of the best ways. The other thing which is super useful, especially if you're new to Spain and you're interested in getting a handle on Spanish culture, um, but you do you know, just pick up on the little interesting details, the little background details, if you like, um, about, you know, how people do things, the way things are done, uh, the kind of interaction between people as well. And of course, entertainment. Now, you know, I think I mentioned this in previous episodes as well. It's easy when you move to Spain just to fall back on, well, I just keep, especially now with like I said, Netflix, streaming, TV, uh, on the internet, it's easy just to carry on watching the same TV programs, the same TV shows that you were watching back home in your native language. And I'm guilty of doing that. And there are some days where I just do not feel like watching any Spanish TV, and I just want to watch British or American TV, and I do do that. But it's, uh, it's, it, you it's have to try and resist the temptation to do that you know if you're living in Spain you're here for the long haul you've got to try and invest in Spanish culture and you know through TV series and uh, TV shows and the news and documentaries and all these kinds of things it's really important to, to kind of invest in that and and I'll tell you why because people talk about TV shows as they do in your home country so you go out with a group of Spanish friends for drinks and you know you can almost guarantee that someone say oh did you see the episode uh, the latest episode of Casa de Papel or you know it It is important, Uh, and otherwise, you're just completely left behind. You haven't got a clue what people are talking about when they're talking about TV. The other thing that I find uh, useful about watching Spanish TV um, is it kind of introduces you to who the famous people are, and who the celebrities are, and who the actors are in Spain. Because, you know, to be honest with you, in my experience, when I was living in the UK, I didn't really watch any. Uh, Spanish TV at all I didn't watch any TV shows I watched Spanish films, Spanish movies So I knew who Penelope Cruz was And I knew who Javier Bardem was Very well known Spanish actors But you know, the kind of day to day celebrities That appear on quiz shows And talk shows and chat shows And soap operas and that kind of thing i had no idea and it was quite funny because in you know when i first moved here and we live in the center of madrid and it's actually quite a common occurrence walking around the center of madrid that you do see famous people walking around and you see them in bars and particularly in this in my neighborhood here in la latina where there is a big uh, well-known theater uh, it's not unusual to see famous spanish actors after their show having a drink in the bars nearby certainly in Malasaña, well all over madrid you're going to you you Bound to see uh, famous Spanish actors, TV personalities, celebrities—whatever you want to call them—and I remember numerous times, you know, walking around with Carina and she says, "Oh, look, look! Did you see? Did you see? Did you see who that was? Did you see who that was?" And I was like no who the hell is that ni idea and she said, oh, no, didn't you realize that that's the actress from i don't know velvet or that's the actress from las chicas del cable and i was like oh okay really i wasn't quite sure but you don't know it's quite a good way of you know genning up and getting to recognize who the kind of well-known and famous people are in spain because again it's something that people do talk about as well Imagine, uh, let's say in America, for example, imagine you know, not knowing who David Letterman is or imagine not knowing who, I don't know, Ellen DeGeneres is. It does give you that quite useful and important connection to mainstream uh, Spanish culture. So let's start with our excursion through uh, 14 Spanish TV shows to kick off. Señores, acabamos de entrar en aguas internacionales. La Casa de Papel, La Casa de Papel, Um, literally translates as the house of paper, but I think was translated for uh, English-speaking audiences as the money heist. Now, um, well, this was the most watched original foreign language show on Netflix. And, well, I guess it's true, you know, every it's, it's a show that everyone has been talking about over the last, I don't know, year or two. Um, produced by Altres Media and Vancouver Media, and it was created by Alex Pina, and the series premiered uh, back in May 2017 on the Spanish TV network Antenna. 3 antenna 3. And then Netflix bought the rights for global distribution uh, as I said with the, the English title Money Heist. The third season was released this year. And um, wow, well, what is it? It's a well, crime drama thriller. A man called the Professor, who is played by Álvaro Morte, recruits eight people with different abilities to carry out the biggest bank heist in history. And uh, they enter the Royal Mint of Spain. To print 2.4 billion uh, euros and along the way dealing with police forces and hostages. So, as I said, um, the goal is to break in, print uh, 2.4 billion euros in 50 euro notes. And the challenge is that they have less than 11 days to do it and they can't spill the blood of a single hostage. And the professor conducts the whole operation externally or remotely. Uh, there's a strong symbol of dissent. The group won't steal from the people and they don't want to kill anyone. Uh, they wear red jumpsuits like in Guantanamo Bay Prisoners and Dali masks like the Anonymous Group. It's easy viewing. It's gripping. It's it's exciting. Um, you know, it can get a bit dull in places, but it's quite suspenseful. And the characters uh, are kind of charming in their own individual way. They have the characters are quite well developed individually with their own personalities. It's very tense. It's quite sophisticated. It harnesses the use of flashbacks, uh, showing different parts of the plan and how it all ties together. And uh, you know that alleviates some of the tension, but it gives gives sort of an insight into the whole operation itself. And I guess in the third and final season, the series addresses the ideas of love and chaos, uh, which is quite a clever ploy that ties the entire series together and shows how messy emotions can be uh, in this kind of situation. And even the professor, who's like the mastermind who's controlling the whole operation, who's always calm and collected, you know, admits that mistakes were made and they were partly his fault due to falling in love. And and, uh, and that helps paper over any of the issues um, that uh, that came up in the previous seasons. There were lots of twists and turns. It's 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 a riveting watch, I would say. There is something kind of a bit ridiculous about about the whole the whole the whole notion of, of what they're trying to do. You know, you do notice a few kind of plot holes along the way as well. But I, in my case, it didn't really interfere uh, with my enjoyment of it. So that's La Casa de Papel. Uh, In terms of ease of understanding, um, you're going to need really, uh, I would say, a kind of middle intermediate level to really get into it. But as I always say, when you're watching any TV series in Spanish, uh, whatever your level, really, um, I always watch with Spanish subtitles at the same time. Um, I guess if you're at a lower level, uh, if you're at a beginner's level of Spanish, don't let that put you off. Uh, I would say do try watching it in Spanish and avoid the the English language version. Watch it in Spanish and uh, just simply put the the, uh, subtitles on in English. And you will notice you will pick up uh, quite a lot that way as with any of these tv shows that i'm talking about but for me and I, and it's probably good that i mentioned this here in, in the the first tv show that i'm talking about is i would always say whatever your level you know these tv shows are designed for native spanish speakers and even if you have a high level there are still going to be things that kind of go over your head or you're not quite sure about i would say always 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 watch in the original version so watch in spanish and put spanish subtitles at the same time so number two on our list. Cuéntame como si la felicidad. Cuéntame como pasó. Tell me how it happened. Also really uh, abbreviated normally to just cuéntame. Uh tell me. Tell me how it happened. Uh, this is uh I think the longest-running TV series slash I guess it's kind of like a soap opera but not really more of a series Uh, the longest running I think in Spain Uh, it started uh, was first broadcast back in the year 2001 and uh, well the last or most recent series aired uh, this year Uh, what is it about well it's a series that charts the really the modern history of Spain, and uh, it charts the highs and lows of one working-class family, uh, which starts right really back in the last days of the dictatorship of uh, General Francisco Franco, and it kind of charts... Uh, the history of Spain through the eyes of this uh, Spanish family, all the way through uh, to the transition of Spain's democracy, and uh, right goes as far up as 1990 in the TV series. So, just to simplify it for you, when the show started back in 2001, uh, the very first season which was broadcast then, was set in 1968. And the last season, which aired this year, 2019, uh, the action was taking place in 1990. Uh, So it charts uh, the modern history of Spain month by month. It's epic. Um, There are uh, 20 seasons in total. I don't know how many episodes there are. There are, I think, hundreds of episodes uh, that have been made since it first aired in 2001. And as I said, it recounts the experiences of a kind of working-class family who are called the Alcántaras during the last years of the rule of Francisco Franco. And the series was actually created to celebrate the first 25 years since Spain's transition to uh, democracy. Now, it's not a history programme. It is a kind of drama-slash- soap opera I suppose uh, following the Alcantara family Um, now when I first saw the first couple of episodes it took me a little while to get into it because I found it a little bit at first maybe a bit too overly sentimental a little bit schmaltzy a little bit earnest Um, but then after I don't know four or five episodes I was hooked and I, I love it it's a really touching and humorous and sometimes you know uh, sad account of a working-class family's life, month after month, year after year, and you see the whole family evolve, and it's all of the kind of ups and downs and the difficulties and their moments of happiness that they face through their, you know, fairly ordinary life. But I say ordinary life; it's quite interesting. The Alcantara family always seem to find themselves at the centre of whatever big thing is happening in history at the time so each episode which I think is about one hour long um, each episode is is one month of one given year so episode one uh, I think is uh, April 1968 Eight and then episode two is May 1968 etc cetera, etc cetera. so it takes you through all of the big kind of world events uh, as they happen you're the first man to land on the moon um the fall of the Berlin Wall is one of the last things that happened. All of the different things that are happening in Spanish history as well, but kind of seen through the eyes of this uh, Spanish family. And, you know, it's a really enjoyable, very humorous uh, account of Spanish family life. Uh, the main protagonist, I would say, is Antonio Alcantara, who is played by Emanuel Arias. Um, he's, he's a great character. So he's like this sort of patriarchal head of the family, very strict. But he kind of has this warm, soft side to him as well. And he's married to Mercedes, uh, who's played by Ana Duato. Aquí todo el mundo pide dinero. ¿Quién da algo, coño? Pero vamos a ver, vamos a ver que parece que todos dependemos de ti, yo a ti cuando te he pedido algo. Dímelo. ¿Por qué no te ha hecho falta? Pues ya está, déjame en paz. Porque acabas de vender un bar, no te hagas el chulito, que te va a durar ese dinero dos semanas. Me cago en la leche. Lo dice él, mira el mimado de la familia. Toda la vida era el críspulo de esta casa, coño, que parecía que lo escribía a él. Pues, pues parais quieto. Coño, la Santa, la Santa, la Santa. Really the story is that they are a married couple who emigrated in the 1960s from a fictional small village in the uh, province of Albacete and they move uh, in search of work and really a better life to a fictional working-class suburb of Madrid called San Gennaro, along with, of course, uh, Erminia, who is the uh, mother-in-law, and, of course, they have three children, Inés, Tony and Carlos. For me, it was really useful. Every time I've watched it, nearly every time I've watched it, I've always made sure to have a notebook and pen next to me because I have learnt so much slang and colloquial Spanish through watching the the series. The other great thing about it is if you don't know an awful lot about Spanish history and uh, particularly the kind of uh, the Franco regime and the transition to democracy and how that affected your average person in Spain, will you get to see it? It's been broadcast on La Una which is uh, the main channel of Televisión Española. And um, yeah, it's the longest running primetime series in the history of Spanish TV. Highly recommendable. You know, they're all really great characters. And the interesting thing is with it, for the most part, for nearly all of the 17, 18 years of the series, they kept the same actors. So, right from when uh, the Alcantaras children are literally kids, you see them go all the way through uh, to grow up into adulthood, which again in itself is pretty impressive. So, there you go. Cuéntame como pasó. Tell me how it happened. Uh, number three on my list is Velvet. Uh, now I I got into this a Spanish drama. It was broadcast on Antena Three, Antena tres. The main storyline of the show really it's set in a nineteen fifties department store on Madrid's Gran Via, and uh, Velvet follows the love story between the department store heir and one of the store's kind of lower down seamstresses and uh, the velvet department store is kind of I don't know considered the jewel in the crown of Madrid's fashion scene at that time so it's all elegance sophisticated it's sort of in the 1950s about this sort of world this new world of decadence so, I mean, it is kind of, yeah, it's kind of saccharine infused flavor. It's pretty irresistible. So, it takes place in this department store in the 1950s. After years abroad, the prodigal son Alberto, who is played by Miguel Angel Silvestre, has returned home to his family's store. The problem is he doesn't want to continue his father's legacy in the business. No, he wants to uh, reconnect with his childhood sweetheart, Anna, uh, who is the seamstress that I mentioned. And so, the four collide to pull both characters into this sort of tangled web of jealousy ambition all surrounded by the sort of dazzling fashion of the time and uh, well they almost don't want to give any spoilers but they almost die so it's kind of like very light slightly cheesy romance does kind of employ, I suppose, quite a few of those 1950s cinematic stereotypes. But, you know, I'd say at best it is a compelling drama. It's got lots of exciting narrative twists. Um, For me, I quite like the kind of visual aspect of it, the way they transformed Madrid back to the 1950s, the clothes the fashion, the cars, this kind of thing. And as I say, they did it pretty well because it had high production values. I think each episode cost an estimated 500,000 euros. So there you go, Velvet, uh, also known as Galerias Velvet as well. It's available on Netflix, uh, certainly in Spain, and I believe also in the USA and the UK. Number three on the list. Españoles en el Mundo. This is probably one of my favourite TV shows to watch. Why? Because, well, I I love anything to do with travel and I love anything that's slightly, you know, documentary style, I guess you could call it. Um, It's been running since 2009. It's a docu-reality series. And it goes and finds Spaniards who have upped and left Spain and gone to start and live a new life in a completely different country. So each episode focuses usually on I think two one or two countries or and one or two uh, people. These people get in touch with the program and say hi I have emigrated to India, I've emigrated to China, I've emigrated to Russia and the production company go along and they do a kind of semi fly on the wall just following them around you know to see their day-to-day lives making comparisons with their life back in Spain, looking at the various cultures of the given country that they're visiting um and it's a real for me it's a real feast for the eyes it's it's really interesting you get uh, an insight a cultural insight to and they must have done a good hundred or more different countries around the world by now. Uh, A really good insight through the eyes of a Spanish person and it looks at their family life. In many cases, the Spanish person who's gone and emigrated has um, got married to a native person from that given country and had children and settled there. So it looks at their family life, it looks at their jobs, it looks at the culture. There are some 16 seasons, first broadcast back in 2009. And it's produced by Televisión Española. So you should be able to find pretty much all of the episodes on the RTVE website available to stream. Now, I'm pretty sure I remember watching episodes of this back in the UK. So hopefully, hopefully, wherever you are listening in the world, you can access this via the uh, RTVE uh, website. So the RTVE is the Corporación de Radio y Televisión Española, which which is the state-owned public corporation. You can find a lot of their material available for free on the RTVE website. So give it a look. And while I talk about Españoles en el Mundo... I should also make a mention of Madrileños por el mundo, which is very similar. So, Españoles en el mundo, uh, Spanish in the world, and or Spanish people in the world, uh, or Spaniards in the world. Uh, Madrileños por el mundo, I uh, know, Madrileños around the world. Again, it's a travel show, travel documentary show, and um, a team of reporters uh, go to different cities around the world to, to document the experiences of people from Madrid, living abroad. Again, talking about their life, their jobs, their work, uh, making comparisons with Spain. They explain their reasons for their move. They introduce the cities and culture where they live and their kind of most interesting aspects of their daily life. And in fact, uh, there is a Madrileños por el Mundo Oxford edition. So they have indeed been to my hometown uh, in Oxford. And in fact, two of my friends actually featured in in, uh, in an episode of it. So if you're into travel documentaries with a kind of spanish flavor those two are well worth watching uh, madrileños por el mundo is as i said by Telemadrid, but uh you can find loads and loads and loads of episodes of this on youtube as well so go and check it out it's a nice enjoyable uh, thing to watch i like watching it on a on a lazy sunday morning Número cuatro on the list, La Casa, another casa, La Casa de las Flores, The House of Flowers. This, again, was a really quite a big hit on Netflix. It's kind of a mix of traditional sort of soap opera style mixed with kind of comedy. Uh, so think of a wealthy socialite family plagued by past misdeeds, skeletons in wardrobes or skeletons in cupboards, secrets. And yeah, one of the most watched Spanish shows on Netflix, um, The House of Flowers, La Casa de las Flores. So comedy drama revolves around an affluent family in Mexico whose claim to fame and riches are all thanks to their renowned Flower shop. Well, of course, what else? A major turn of events when the patriarch of the family is caught being unfaithful and then sent away to prison before all of the family's assets and accounts dun, 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 are completely frozen. So the show then becomes centered around a mother and her two daughters and their. Hilarious attempts at making it through this tumultuous time with no money or power. Uh, it's got a lot of big names in it. Veronica Castro, Cecilia Suárez, Aislinn Derbev. It's entertaining. It's it's fun. Out of all of the drama series that I mention in these 14 TV shows, probably the least challenging On every level, it holds your interest. For me, it kind of does have that feeling of uh, the kind of slightly more uh, sophisticated version of the traditional South American, Latin American telenovela uh, that I mentioned uh, earlier on. Uh, Number five on the list, numero cinco, El Ministerio del Tiempo, The Ministry of Time. So this is a, a historical fiction series, uh, which was produced again by TUBA, the uh, public Spanish TV network, Televisión Española, and created by Pablo and Javier Olivares. And the first two seasons uh, premiered back in early 2015, and then again in 2016. They were aired on La Una, the main TVA channel and then they announced a third season in 2016 at which point an agreement was reached with Netflix and thanks to the uh, company's participation in production the season would have a f- uh, had a higher budget in exchange so Netflix what they did is they added the first two seasons to its catalog and have the exclusive online distribution of the third Ministry of Time. What is it? I don't know. If you imagine, like, I think I read this somewhere. The love child of Doctor Who and Quantum Leap. (laughs) Something along those lines. Uh, It's a secret institution, the Ministry of Time, dependent on the Spanish government. So only presidents and monarchs and uh, a few other people know about its existence. Time travel is is present and is controlled uh, by patrols with the aim of avoiding intruders from the past to change the present to their benefit and uh, well they say that it's been one of the best Spanish series made in recent years and it uh, again has that historical Spanish history element to it with lots of important characters and key moments in Spanish history so if you want again to learn about Spanish history it's a good choice but it, you know, it has this obviously sci-fi element Element to it. So it follows a top-secret department of the Spanish government that reports directly to the Prime Minister and the Ministry guards the doors to time to make sure that travelers, like I said, can't change history, and it really follows the ministry's newest patrol, uh, made up of the army of Flanders soldier Alonso de Enterrios, a nineteenth-century student Amelia Folch, and a twenty-first-century paramedic Julian Martinez. And of course, you do see, as I said, some famous faces from history, including Franco, Hitler, Picasso, and indeed. Queen Isabel. Uh, quite an interesting concept. Uh, I found it a bit over the top, a bit ridiculous. But you know, it's fun, but it's not very really challenging on any level. Uh, number six, Las Chicas del Cable. Las Chicas del Cable. En 1931, la mujer estaba más cerca de lograr lo que tanto había deseado: la igualdad. Vas a ser la próxima alcaldesa de Madrid. ¿Usted no es quién para despedirme? Uh, it's essentially about the fight for women's rights and re- women's independence at a time when society was incredibly uh, patriarchal. Uh, it follows four women working as switchboard operators it's set in the late 1920s, in, uh, I think it's in 1928. And it follows, as I said, four women who become uh, telephone operators for Telefonica uh, during, obviously, at the time in the 20s, a huge expansion of the uh, telephone network in Spain and in Europe and indeed the world. And it uh, follows four women each of whom have their own story and uh, about how they're growing in the company, where they've come from. And they're working in a company at that time, obviously, which is a very, very male-dominated world. So it looks at themes of women trying to gain independence, women joining the world of work, which at the time was still something which was frowned upon, which was unusual and uh, portrays them or attempts to portray them as uh, strong independent women Uh, they struggle to get divorced even in case of domestic violence so it touches on domestic violence looks at themes of feminism homosexuality um, and I would say it's positive it's funny it's kind of quite aware I found it pretty captivating it's like loads of twists and turns and cliffhangers um, loads of cliches but there's something quite addictive about it it's not amazingly original and it's love friendship secrets betrayal and again uh which uh, seems to be a very common theme in spanish tv series lately uh it does follow and mark uh, some very important uh, moments in Spanish history. One thing I found a bit odd about it and a bit annoying was, you know, it was set in the late 1920s, early 1930s, all of the music that was used throughout the series was was modern music, and it just didn't seem to work, didn't really, really gel. Número siete on the list, vis-à-vis. Uh, and I think the English uh, version was translated as locked up. and uh, fast paced prison drama, um, you know, great for a binge watch good for informal or alternative language and slang for this reason I say it's probably you know you need a good solid intermediate level to follow it uh, properly Um, everyone always compares it to Orange is the New Black if you are familiar with that TV series. So looking at the plot a young woman falls in love with her boss and ends up imprisoned for committing accounting crimes which were actually his fault she ends up in the Cruz del Sur prison accused of four different crimes and she needs to learn more about life in prison she learns that there's a large sum of money hidden somewhere that was never found and one of the culprits for this crime is actually in prison with her so without trying she ends up finding a clue of course and she needs to try to deal with this while surviving prison life elements of Orange is the new black maybe a touch of prison break very suspenseful loads of ridiculously far-fetched giros or twists the plot is a bit patchy at times it tries to challenge uh, racist and homophobic attitudes uh that's that's pretty clear and um well the first series apparently boasted the most violence and sex ever seen on spanish television numero ocho on the list ingobernable ingobernable which is Ungovernable. This is actually Mexican. It's a Mexican political drama. It's starring uh, Kate del Castillo. It premiered on Netflix. Uh, that was back in early 2017. I think it was March. And del Castillo plays the fictional First Lady of Mexico, Emilia Urquiza, and Eric Heiser plays the fictional president of Mexico, Diego Nava. The presidential couple push for internal peace in the country, but this is made difficult due to unforeseen challenges that emerge and a major scandal that begins to develop. So it's a political thriller, starts off with a murder. Uh, The first lady becomes the number one suspect in the death of who? Who is the murder? Her husband. She becomes a suspect of the death of a, in the death of her husband, President Naba. So the story really is about her, her fight and the subsequent attempts to clear her name uh, at the same time while she's trying to uncover the corruption that first landed her in the situation. High-octane drama, intense, claustrophobic. I found it in really, really gripping, actually, the, the first the first season. And I watched it with Karina and we really got into it. And... And when it ended, we were like, "No, we really, we really got that hooked that we couldn't wait for the uh, for the follow up." If you like things like The House of Cards or The Good Wife, you'd probably like this. The other interesting thing about it, from terms of uh, from a point of view of learning Spanish. Um, Lots of Mexican slang and Mexican expressions that the characters use in it, as you would expect. So, quite useful for broadening your range of uh, vocabulary and exposure to, to non Spanish accents. Number nine. <laughs> This is an absolute classic Been around for a long time Didn't run for a very long time But one of those television comedy series In Spain that everybody knows about And it's called Aquí no hay quien viva Aquí no hay quien viva Uh, No one could live here (laughs) That's how it translates No one could live here and it's a comedy series focusing on the inhabitants of a fictional building at the address of number 21 Desengagno Street, which is a real street that does exist. And Desengagno means disillusion all these characters live at number 21 disillusion street and it's a real street it's near grambia it came out on the antenna 3 network and i think it was then later broadcast on a channel called neox and also on paramount comedy it came out in 2003 it's all about very strong and comedic characters a witty script and it was a, a series which i think was good at poking fun at spain and at spanish people and sort of poking fun at contemporary issues at the time quite brutal Caustic satire, I suppose, pointing fingers at the kind of characters that you can meet in Spain and in Spanish society. Well, indeed, in any, in any, in, in any society. Um, but a uh, good fun, light-hearted. I stumbled across it before I met, before I moved to Spain when I had a lower level of Spanish, and I found it quite difficult at first. The dialogue is very fast, loads of slang. Um, but uh, if you can find it on the internet, as I say, this was. This was, uh, I think, ran from 2003 until 2006, so only for a couple of years. Um, but it's worth looking out for the challenge. I'm sure you can find it probably on YouTube or online somewhere. I'm not sure if it's still on the Antena 3 website. But uh, it's a classic uh, comedy comedy series called Aquí no hay quien viva. Number 10 on the list. Uh, Again, this is one of my favourites. This one, number 10 on the list, is called Puntos Sobre La Historia. Puntos Sobre La Historia is a history programme, but not boring in the slightest. And it's a history programme that focuses really on Madrid. Through Madrid, it does look at the wider history of Spain. Really enjoyable. So the kind of format of the programme is you've got two guys, David Botello and Lorenzo Gallardo. In each episode, they jump on their bikes and they cycle around a different part of Madrid or a different neighbourhood of Madrid, looking at the history of that particular barrio and in normally interviewing some historians or local residents or somebody who's got some kind of connection to that neighbourhood. Really interesting, they you know look at the history of the city without going into exhaustive detail and they deliver it in a kind of light-hearted, humorous way as they Cycle around on their bikes. So I don't know, I think kind of if anyone's familiar with the, the hairy bikers in the UK. Kind of like the hairy bikers, except they don't go around on motorbikes. They just go around on normal push bikes. They're not as hairy as the hairy bikers. And they don't talk about food. They talk about history. So it's absolutely nothing to do with the hairy bikers at all. Um, but it's a really enjoyable watch. I think there are about 61 episodes. Uh, it ran for around three seasons. Started back in 2016. I think pretty much all of the episodes are available on YouTube. So it's easy to find. Each episode's around half an hour long, maybe forty-five minutes. The idea of these points, puntos sobre la historia, the points about history, is they kind of the idea of following a map, and they do little stop-offs around Madrid or around each neighbourhood. Easygoing, light-hearted watching. Again, my kind of Sunday morning viewing, and and it's especially interesting if you're living in Madrid because it's quite nice to see bits of Madrid on TV and think, oh, I recognize that. Where's that? And, you know, you learn tons uh, about the city you live in through watching it. So highly recommended Puntos Sobre La Historia. Incidentally, there's also a podcast and I think it started out life as a podcast. There is a podcast as well. Numero 11, number 11, it's not my normal go-to TV show that I would make an effort to watch, but it seems to be a TV programme that I end up happening to see. that's on in the background at night when I'm having my evening meal. It's a TV show that everyone knows about. It's a TV show that might come up in conversation occasionally between friends. And it's called El Hormiguero. El Hormiguero literally means the ant hill. Okay, and what is it? Well, it's a late night chat show, talk show. The reason I would say it's useful is because you get to see a lot of Spanish celebrities so it's a quite good way of getting to know who's who. Uh, It's very light-hearted, filmed in front of a a live TV audience. And it's, as I said, it focuses on comedy. Interestingly, it kind of marries comedy with science. So they have guest interviews. It's hosted by a guy called Pablo Motos, who's a screenwriter, broadcast on Antena 3. A mainstay of the show are two puppets, (laughs) two puppet ants called Trancas and barrancas, which comes from the Spanish expression, atrancas y barrancas, which if you didn't know means in fits and starts, in fits and starts, atrancas y barrancas. It's a very successful TV show in Spain. Uh, I think it started out as a weekly format, but now it's on, I think, every, pretty much every night, and it's about 40, 45 minutes. Uh, in duration so they have lots of famous you know Spanish celebrities on there as always like any talk show around the world promoting whatever it is they want to promote but they do have international uh, celebrities on there as well from all over the world so you get lots of American and British celebrities on there which is always quite funny because they have to then have a translator most of the time sitting next to them which makes for some quite awkward viewing sometimes the other thing about it is they uh, um they do weird science experiments for some reason during the show the usual format is they get some well-known person celebrity to go on there and try and get involved with some silly prank which is based on some kind of scientific experiment not my kind of viewing, to be honest. But the reason it's on my list is because I always seem to end up catching it on in the background. Sometimes it'd be quite amusing. It's really good practice for Spanish because it's very fast-paced. There are lots of jokes in the show. So it's good for practicing your understanding of Spanish humour and Spanish jokes. And it's a good way of finding out your kind of who's who. At, you know, Who's the flavour of the month? Who's the celebrity of the moment? Número doce. Number twelve. Aida is a Spanish sitcom uh, that started back in 2005, was broadcast on Telecinco, and uh, it was set in Madrid. It was a spin-off originally from another sitcom called Siete Vidas, Seven Lives, and the show stars uh, Carmen Marchi as the title character. Aida Garcia and well she's a working single mother with two teenage children uh, who is forced to move in with her mother and her brother well to survive to make ends meet so the show follows her life with her mother Eugenia who's played by Marisol Ayuso and her brother uh, Luisma who's played by Paco Leon so together with uh, Aida come her two teenage children Jonathan and Lorena Uh, I've only seen the first few seasons of Aida, um, but uh, many people say that the later seasons are are funnier and better written. A lot of my Spanish friends say that it's a series that had improved with age and got better over the years. It's not something I watched religiously. It's something that I I saw on a semi-regular basis, an amusing easy watch if you want some kind of spanish sitcom Uh, it's supposedly set actually in a neighborhood called esperanza sur pretending to be the carabanchel neighborhood in in southern madrid i have found episodes of aida on youtube and on the other video platform called daily motion on there for free so it's definitely worth a look i found it uh, amusing so to round off then, number 13 and uh, 14. Well, I'm going to put these sort of two together. Why? Because I would probably call them my placeres inconfesables, my guilty pleasures. Um, number 13, pesadillas en la cocina, pesadillas en la cocina, kitchen nightmares, of course. Now, I hate the British and US versions with Gordon Ramsay because I can't stand Gordon Ramsay. But there's something about Alberto Chicote which I find very watchable. Probably because he's very portly and it looks like his arms are too short for his body and the way he kind of waddles around shouting at the inept restaurant owners. Um, It is what it is. It's Kitchen Nightmares version Spanish. And, um, you know, it's... Chewing gum for the eyes. I couldn't watch a lot of it. But if you want to learn some very colloquial Spanish, if you want to be exposed to real Spanish, because these people are not actors, it's obviously a reality TV show, um, give it a look. I I just like it for for Chicote. He, for some reason, he, he just makes me laugh. And you'll realize the more you watch it that uh, Alberto Chicote... Every other word is joder, 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 joder. Se lo has dicho, no, 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 to no, 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 Check out Chicote's uh, Pesadillas en la Cocina. And then connected with that, because I guess these two shows are, you know from the realm of syndicated TV, global TV, which is just uh, the, the same format in every country. Uh, First Dates or First date, which I find quite enjoyable. I, I liked the UK version as far as fly on the wall reality TV shows go. But the Spanish version just seems to be almost like a parody of the UK version. I haven't seen any other versions from anywhere else in the world. Uh, it just seems to be a little bit more ridiculous. I don't know how they managed to do it because these are supposedly real people um, but I think there's a lot more production interference you know to try and put people together a bit you know who are just not going to get on or I, I don't know but it, it is useful for practicing your Spanish it's quite entertaining I suppose it first dates I find it interesting because obviously you know you get people on the show and the same with uh, Kitchen Nightmares you get people from all over Spain. So you get exposed to lots of different uh, uh, accents, which I find is really useful and really interesting, especially when you get you know, a young couple on a date from deepest Andalusia, you know, from Cadiz or something like that. And you're like, "What?" Uh, it's quite hard to understand. So I, I quite like it for listening and being exposed to different accents from around uh, different parts of Spain. So it, and with those two, that will round up my uh, foray through 14 Spanish TV shows. Uh, I'm sure at least a handful of those many of you guys listeners have probably already watched or at least heard of. When I was drawing up this list, I did actually put this to the When in Spain Facebook group. If you want more inspiration for what to watch in Spanish, Spanish TV shows, do head across to the When in Spain uh, Facebook group. And uh, have a look at the thread which I posted a couple of days ago. Thank you guys for sharing your favourite TV shows on the When in Spain group. Sorry I couldn't include all of them. I couldn't include all of them because a lot of them I just simply hadn't seen. So just before I wrap up, um, so that's been a list, 14. I will occasionally do these list episodes. They seem to be quite popular. If you haven't already listened to it, a list of uh, my favourite books about Spain We've got a lot of bookworms uh, who are listeners to this podcast. I will do another list episode and I think I will do a kind of follow-up of uh, books about Spain because there are just so many and there are so many great books about Spain that I didn't have the chance to include. In the next few episodes, we've got uh, more interviews lined up. So we're going to have more guests on the show coming up in the next, uh, next few weeks. If you're new to the podcast, uh, When in Spain has a presence on the usual social media hangouts, as most podcasts do. Um, so as I mentioned just now, the Facebook group, we've got the Facebook page. Uh, we've got the Instagram uh, account, When in Spain. So if you like photography, I try and post as much uh, many photos on there as possible on a fairly regular basis. Uh, we're on Twitter if you'd like to tweet me and follow us on there. And if you'd like to get in touch directly with me and the When in Spain podcast, uh, please feel free to fire off an email to wheninspain1 at outlook.com. That's wheninspain1 at outlook.com. Any feedback, any feedback about the podcast, any uh, ideas for future shows, um, that's your place to do it right there. Uh, what else did I want to say? Yeah, apologies for getting a bit out of sequence and a bit late with publishing of this podcast. It always seems to happen um, at various points of <laughs> during the year. Uh, it happens around. Christmas and New Year when there are holidays and it always seems to happen about this time of year during the sort of tail end of the summer when um, I'm trying to readjust and get back into a routine again. When the show doesn't appear after a week don't worry it doesn't mean I've given up packed up shop and gone back to the UK and I'm not going to do the podcast anymore Um, it's just you know life gets in the way like I've said you know many times before it's just me doing the podcast if I get sick there's no one else to do it you know and I do have a day job as well to, to to do so the other thing I just wanted to say please feel free and please do leave uh, a review for the When in Spain podcast if you enjoy it. Wherever you listen wherever you're listening to the show, whether it's on iTunes or Apple or Android or wherever Spotify, I think on all of the platforms you there is the ability to leave uh, a review or give a little star rating. If while you're listening uh, to the end of this show, just you know have a click on the platform. Now you can scroll down. You can see where you can leave a little review, just a sentence or two or just click on the five stars and that will be fantastic and the other thing that's worth doing as well um, is to hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to the show uh, it probably doesn't make that much difference to you other than that you automatically get the episode downloaded uh, when it's published when i hit the publish button but for me it does make a big difference because the more people actually hit the subscribe button on the podcast and it doesn't cost any money or anything like that to do so the more people that hit the subscribe subscribe button the further up the podcast charts it sends when in spain sign up on patreon if you can and continue to listen and please leave a little review un abrazo muy fuerte from me and saludos desde madrid thank you for listening and i look forward to speaking to you again next week until then hasta luego